with Alexander Wilson, the Director General of the British Library Reference Division, speaking here tomorrow night, and John Jenkins of the Jenkins Publishing Company and various other ventures in Austin, Texas, a week from tonight on the relationships between the rare book trade and rare books librarianship. That's the farmer and the cowboy should be friends lecture, which should be stimulating, as all John Jenkins' operations are. And that ends uh, the remorseless succession of lectures that we've been enjoying this spring. They will start up again at the end of May, once we're in summer school, and there will be two a week for most of July and August as well. So more on that to the friends in a couple of weeks when we send out a new mailing. Our speaker tonight is Michael Crump, who is assistant editor of the 18th Century Short Title Catalog in London, and he'll be talking about the 18th Century Short Title Catalog, past, future, and probably the present as well. Michael Crump. Do I have to look at this thing? No. It, okay, right. Um... I am the assistant editor of ESTC in London. This lecture uh, has a transatlantic angle on it. It is from London. Um, the comments are relevant to the file in, uh, as it's mounted in Arlin, but um, Arlin does have different search capacities to the British Library database Blaze. However, Judy... Singleton, who's my counterpart on the American team, is in attendance. So if there are any particular problems, we can call on her. The history of enumerative bibliography is marked by the achievements of individuals. Their works are cited by their names, and the publications they describe assume Foxed numbers, Alston numbers, and Todd numbers. The same is essentially true of the short title catalogues of Pollard and Redgrave for the period 1475 to 1640 and by Wing for 1641 to 1700. It is true that others are acknowledged on the title pages and indeed that both these catalogues are in the process of being revised by teams of scholars. But they stand beside similar achievements such as the Oxford English Dictionary by Murray and the Dictionary of National Biography by Stephen which also carry the names and the distinctive stamp of a single presiding force. Early notions of how the bibliographical record of books produced in the hand press era might be completed by extending the series of short title catalogues to 1800 involved schemes cast in the same heroic mould. R.J. Roberts argued in 1970 for a concerted effort by scholars to provide the necessary background knowledge with which to tackle such an enormous task. Those guiding the proposals of the American Society for 18th Century Studies, ASECS, in its application for grants from the National Endowment of the Humanities thought that editors possessed of the requisite expertise would be required for every other decade, if not for every decade. And indeed, the proposal submitted by ASEX to the NEH could list no fewer than seven previous attempts at solving the problem, many under the guidance of individuals and just as many failing for want of sufficient financial support. 
With ASEX taking the lead, pressure mounted to bring together interested parties to discuss the feasibility of creating an 18th century short title catalogue, ESTC. The conference of the 14th to 18th of June 1976, jointly sponsored by the British Library and ASEX and supported by the NEH, sought to provide answers to questions about the scope of the project, the ideal and the feasible STC, how the cooperation of libraries might be sought, the methodology to be adopted in cataloguing, and the levels of staffing. However, concrete facts and figures were lacking. Questions about exclusion and inclusion were discussed, but without a clear image of the task, it was difficult to come to firm conclusions. The overwhelming impression to be gained from the conference papers is one of a well-intentioned attempt to come to terms with a problem in theory, but without any realistic basis upon which to consider how the task was to be completed in practice. It is significant that, despite two pilot projects, such was the complexity and the novelty of the whole operation that methodologies were difficult to formulate. The task itself was so new and the problems beyond a certain point impossible to predict that the solutions have had to be developed and indeed continue to be developed as progress is made. These have ranged from organizing efficient methods of reporting by contributing libraries to the current concern and one of the reasons for my being in this country that of enriching two different databases one on each side of the Atlantic simultaneously but without the content of the computer files diverging. In the endeavor to create such a catalog, if the endeavor to create such a catalog was to succeed, it had to be kept within reasonable boundaries and would have to be planned in ways which might convince grant awarding bodies and institutions that the goal was achievable. This much was obvious. But what was lacking was the focus for all this effort. In retrospect, it is clear that the task was too great for an individual and that while ASEX had provided the scholarly impetus, it lacked the institutional framework to support a long-term project. Nevertheless, the conference did result in a significant initiative. The British Library offered to support a pilot project six weeks duration during which a number of approaches could be tested by a team of catalogers drawn from differing backgrounds. At the time, this initiative was bold and imaginative, and all the more so when it is considered that the British Library was a relatively new institution, having been created in 1973. However, it was perhaps precisely the creation of an institution which could, for the first time, claim a concern for the whole of the National Printed Archive, wherever that archive might reside, that gave Don Richnell, the Director General of the Reference Division, the authority required to make such a move. The formulation of agreed international cataloguing rules, ASCR2, and agreed methods of structuring bibliographical records mark had helped to fulfill the responsibility of the new institution with reference to modern books. But, if, uh, but it left open the question of early material. However, the UNESCO desire for universal bibliographical control and the need to effect a retrospective conversion of the existing printed catalogues to machine-readable form were perhaps 
additional pressures upon the British Library to take its rightful place as the centre for ESTC. Given that the June conference had, had established the material, chronological and linguistic scope of the ESTC, there remained the methodology to be explored more thoroughly. There were two possible courses that could be adopted, merely to conflate existing catalogue records or to start from scratch and catalogue the material once again, at least in one major library, to give a sound base upon which to build the project. The checklist of the works of Addison presented to the conference by Robin Alston seemed to suggest that the former would lead to an unacceptable level of doubt as to the validity of the matching. However, the possibility was further tested on behalf of the publisher's Mansells by Carol Evans. She examined the possibility of compiling an ESTC in the same way in which the firm had produced the National Union catalogue, by combining existing catalogue records taking the relevant records for the letter P from the British Library, the Bodleian Library, and Cambridge University Library catalogues, and NUC, she analysed the way in which they might be collated and distinguished to form a single catalogue. At the same time, the British Library tested a number of possibilities, ranging from using its existing catalogue entries to, ex to examining the advantages to be derived from recataloguing its books and enhancing those records with the accumulated wisdom of its general catalogue. The results of both pilot projects were discussed at a further meeting held in November 1976 in Washington. It was decided that existing catalogues would not provide sufficient information to relate accurately one library's holdings to another's. Furthermore, if computers were to be used, the quantity of data supplied had to meet minimum requirements. And this could not be <coughs> done without entries being drawn from the book in hand. Computers could, of course... Uh, sorry, I've lost myself. forget it. However, many of the larger questions could not be resolved without still further investigation, and the British Library once again took the initiative by offering to conduct a second pilot project lasting six months under the direction of Robin Alston. The aim of the second pilot project was to develop further the necessary methodology, to establish routines for identifying the relevant works, and to draw up a practical set of cataloguing rules which could provide the library with records of its holdings compatible both with its existing printed catalogue and with computer catalogues of contemporary publications. The UK mark files, which are held on the national database Blaze, British Library Automated Information Service. During the six-month period, there were several false starts because the design of the record card changed, as did the colour, while the cataloguing rules developed from verbal agreement amongst half a dozen members of the team to four pages of typescript. Nevertheless, the general working methods were formulated. The process of locating relevant items in the general catalogue, the principle that all copies would be examined and compared, that all items in tract volumes would, if at all possible, be catalogued at the same time to minimise the movement of books and the wear upon them, and the number and type of, of subsidiary files were all established, thereby providing multiple points of manual access to scholars from the outset. <coughs> Furthermore, the team did its best 
to gain some impression of the size of the task confronting it by trying to identify bodies of uncatalogued material. The holdings of the Department of Manuscripts were searched for printed material, as was the general catalogue which contained collective or dump headings of uncatalogued material. Uh, these are the 19th century mainly expedient used in the general catalogue when they took in a large body of material and um, wanted to dispose of it quickly and yet claimed to have catalogued it. It's still going strong, of course, merely to create an entry within square brackets such as um, one of the larger uh, uncatalogued dumps, as we call them, uh, at Great Britain Admiralty square brackets under the commissioners of appeals in prize causes square brackets a collection of prize causes 1754 to 1832 and each volume stands about so thick on the shelf and each prize cause is roughly six eight pages long so you can imagine how many items individual items there were again the house of lords appeals uh, run for yards of shelving and are all in at a dump entry and have each had to be catalogued separately. So, Department of Manuscripts and the General Catalogue. In both cases, much fascinating matter was discovered, mainly ephemera and legal cases, which led to expanding estimates of the quantity of material to be catalogued. It also meant that the microfiche catalogue of the British Library Holdings, which is to be published on the 1st of October for a modest price of £350 until the end of the year when it goes up to £400, and I don't have any prospectuses but should, um, that this British Library catalogue would not merely reflect the printed catalogue but would contain some 20 to 25,000 previously uncatalogued items. Furthermore, the experience made the project team acutely aware of the need to harvest such material, largely ignored in the past by many organizations, and later encouraged the team to seek out repositories in which such material might reside. At the end of the six-month period, the British Library Board was convinced of the importance of the project and of the advantages which would accrue to it. The project was seen as an important testing ground for ways in which the whole of the general catalogue might be converted to computer form. It's not one that they're indulging in. Um, the general catalogue is about to be converted by OCR, optical character recognition, and it'll just be fed into a machine and the books won't be looked at, not surprisingly. The team brought together to complete the ESTC would build up considerable experience of the library's collections and the ways in which structured catalogues might be achieved via computers. Furthermore, as the parallel project by research publications to produce a microform library of ESTC texts demonstrates, um, to explain, research publications have just started a 15-year project within the British Library to film the texts um, film, it's, it won't be a project along the lines of the microfilm editions of, of Wing and STC where everything and anything gets filmed. Um, 25 major authors, including, you'll be glad to hear, Richardson, 
have been picked to have everything, every edition of Clarissa filmed, no matter what. Um, and other, uh, it'll, for the rest, it'll be at least one microfilm of every title, and then um, editions that uh, depart substantially from that initial filmed edition. Um, so that's 15 years in the BL, and of course, um, they've only started when they finished the BL. Um, Furthermore, as the parallel project by research publications to produce a microform library of ESTC text demonstrates, to have records of one's antiquarian books under computer control had significant implications for their conservation and for revenue. The board was therefore persuaded to double the strength of the team for a period of three years. With such stability, the project was able to consolidate the cataloging rules, which were eventually published in book form, Furthermore, it was possible to look at the wider objective, the compilation of the Union catalogue. At each step, the two goals, the catalogue of the British Library and the Union catalogue, had to be borne in mind. The dictates of one were not always the same as the other. The choice of the form of heading for the initial goal would be that of the general catalogue, but this might not be compatible with the requirements of American and Australian libraries. The form of notes adopted in a printed catalogue with blocked entries, which only give edition statements after initial, an initial catalogue record, would not be suitable to relate the holdings of diverse libraries, nor sit well on a computer which presented isolated entries to the screen. What was most apparent from an early date was that there could be no interpolation or standardisation within the transcription since the order of the words on the title page and even the punctuation might prove to be distinguishing factors between two editions. To facilitate the matching of the holdings of different libraries, the main file of records was alphabetical by title. This meant that the titles themselves tended to expand, very short titles in the manner of the earlier STCs and the use of ellipses early in the title transcription were shunned so that the record of a work in the British Library might appear at the same point in the file as the record with which it might match from a volunteer library. This development has proved to be most beneficial in the use of the file online since it has meant that the use of keyword searching in a file which is not subject classified is that much more fruitful. Again, because of the reluctance to standardize edition statements, much time and considerable energy have been deployed in endeavors to achieve bibliographical hierarchies or the correct sequence of editions, impressions, and re-impressions as decided by the cataloger from the computer. The basic computer programs of the Blaze online system were adapted from those developed for the National Library of Medicine in Washington. Thus, they presume that the bibliographic records are to be put onto the computer at the time of publication and can therefore be retrieved online since it assumed that the medical searcher will require the most recent information by a system based on the date of entry to the computer. This explains why records retrieved online in Blaze are presented in reverse order of input to the, to the computer unless otherwise directed. 
structured catalogues do not figure in such a scheme and are achieved where necessary by means of standardizing edition statements. Clearly, if the ESTC has established that a particular new edition is to file after the second edition of that work, one cannot leave the matter to a system of alphanumeric filing in which fourth files after fifth and second would file later still before sixth. The system now in use by the project involves a local computer field, it happens to be 269, with six hierarchical subdivisions in which it is possible to take into account place of publication so that Dublin editions file after London editions where appropriate. Edition, reissue and impression all taken into account by means of an abbreviated alphanumeric system which exerts an unseen influence in catalogue production without requiring the data derived from the title page to be simplified or transposed. As well as confronting the problems posed by the computer, the ESTC team had to develop methods for harvesting records from contributing libraries. In the original ASEX proposal to the NEH, it was envisaged that editorial teams would go to the relevant libraries. Such a scheme would have required itinerant bibliographers with no personal commitments and would have limited the project to acquiring records from known rich repositories. That's spoken with feeling. I've been away for three weeks now. <laughs> I'm about to get a lot of stick when I get home. <laughs> thought of doing it ad infinitum is horrific. <laughs> In practice, it was decided that experienced teams should pro process the data centrally, both in the UK and America. Simple, cost-effective methods of reporting holdings by the staff of the volunteer libraries themselves were drawn up. The position in America now with over 375 contributing libraries is more flexible. Is that still right, 375? Okay, the latest intelligences. Some libraries employ the methods used in Great Britain, but it was very soon realized that in order to complete a significant percentage of the potential records, one could not delay the reporting of those holdings by being inflexible about the form in which those holdings were to be notified. In the UK and on the continent, there are two preferred methods of providing reports of the library's holdings to the project. I think that reflects very much this thing that I was talking about earlier on, about the British Library, in a sense, looking back on it now, being a logical place for the project to reside, a national library able to exert this sort of information where you, uh, this sort of influence where you can say with confidence that there are only two methods of reporting your holdings and a much more um, fluid system in America. The first involves, uh, the first method of reporting these volunteer library holdings. The first involves transcribing the library symbol, shelf mark, title, edition statement, and imprint, and providing pagination on a record card similar to that used in the editorial office. The second is to provide a photocopy of the title page marked with library symbol, shelf mark, and pagination. And I should interject that quite a few libraries do actually report in that way to Judy. 
Given that it was never the intention to provide minute bibliographical distinctions, these methods are considered to be sufficient to distinguish and to match, at least in the first instance. Tests done seem to indicate that they're about 90% accurate. Finer discrimination can be incorporated if, for instance, a contributing library holds two copies which reveal different states of a work. These distinctions can be rapidly applied to all the previous contributors' contributions relating to that work. However, it is clearly preferable to record as many locations as possible rather than, than to make minute distinctions between the holdings of far fewer libraries. And again, it is anticipated that bibliographers furnished with the locations of particular works can examine them in detail subsequently and supply the project with the sort of discrimination which the proje project itself cannot indulge in. Very soon after the foundation of the project in the British Library, the principles adopted for publication 1701 to 1800 were taken up and extended to include earlier printed material and works outside the scope of the STC. The project based at Munster to recatalogue the holdings of the University Library at Göttingen chose to adopt ESTC rules for all its books and to form close links with the BL project. This was the first indication that the rules developed within the British Library would be more widely accepted and found to be just as useful in the cataloguing of other older material. The project at Munster relies upon the computer services of the British Library and indeed has all its keyboarding done through the same bureau. The holdings are in two forms, on the same database as the ESTC, either represented as location statements forming part of an ESTC record held by the BL or as separate records for works which fall outside the scope of the ESTC. Some records which fall within the scope of ESTC do but, but do not match BL holdings will, of course, form ESTC records in their own right and will have similar unique control, record control numbers composed of a letter and six figures to those created from British Library holdings by the team working in London. The catalogue produced for that university library at Göttingen will therefore be a forerunner of those produced for other libraries contributing to the project. It will be a mixture of records in which the library's own holdings form the basis of the catalogue record and of items for which it only represents a location on another library's record. The most encouraging aspect of the Göttingen project was that it showed that the principles adopted by the ESTC could be used to render machine-readable records, to render machine-readable records for all books of the hand press era. As a result, some areas of the early imprints project in Australia and New Zealand were persuaded to adopt ESTC rules, and the South Australian branch has even processed its records in a similar fashion to those of Göttingen. In other words, they're all sent to the British Library and keyboarded in London, and we send the diagnostic back to Australia and they mark it up and the amendments are again keyboarded in London. More recently, the National Library of Australia has shown interest in mounting the ESTC file on its database and in fact that looks as if it will take place 
after the publication of the Fiche catalogue in October when the file is somewhat more stable than at the present. Within the British Library, the rewards to be gained by having records of 18th century material online encouraged a successful experiment within Canabula, starting with an enlarged reproduction of Goff's census of Incanabula in American libraries, which was color-coded to represent the various mark fields, the entries were keyed as any other bibliographical record might have been. These records have since been enhanced with locations of Incanabula in the UK and Europe, and new records have been created for works and editions not described by Goth. In the creation of the ESTC, the records of works within the British Library have therefore had to fulfill a number of functions. In the first instance, of course, they have had to provide a record of the contents of a single library. However, the same records have also had to provide the basis of a union catalogue. And to this end, they have had to incorporate more details while not becoming so sophisticated that the cataloguing rate has suffered and the minute detail has hindered the matching of other records. And finally, with the realization of the potential of computer systems for retrieving data, the records have had to adapt to aid the online user as well as the researcher using either fiche or printed catalogue. Essentially, the ESTC continues to adhere to the majority opinion of the original June conference in that it continues, in the words of John Jolliffe, to catalogue source material for historians. This is not to say that bibliographical refinement, where it has been discovered, has been ignored. Many a, another copy in the general catalogue has been found to be a different edition or impression as a result of an investigation under mob modern bibliographical definitions. And the recataloguing has enabled the team to absorb the findings of bibliographers working in all areas of the century. Nor does it mean, given the power of the Blaze system, that one cannot reach beyond the limitations of the catalogue as, at this time, largely the description of the holdings of one library to perform analyses of 18th century publications which are quite impossible in the other STCs. Briefly, I ought to explain, I think, before I go on to this bit here, um, that do I need to explain about it, uh, computer indexing to this audience? They're computer indexed. It all goes in. It's inverted. Fine. Okay. Right. It will be. I'll just leave that. It will be readily appreciated that such comprehensive indexing as the computer achieves automatically and which allows the searcher of the online file. The problem is that sometimes I'm thinking that I'm giving this to some 18th century scholars. Um, uh, or I'm talking to 18th century scholars and they do need to know what indexing is, believe me, um, or they just can't comprehend how they can use the file. And sometimes I'm talking amongst people who are more aware. Um, anyway, um, obviously the, what I'm talking about here is the power of that file once you've got those terms indexed. Um, the power to combine and exclude elements from many parts of the bibliographical records at will can be used to powerful effect. 
It is true that subject indexing of the ESTC has not been carried out, nor, for instance, is there to be a comprehensive fiche index of book trade personnel. But then neither has the fixity and the limitation of such indexing been imposed upon the user. One is no longer limited to those indexes provided with a publication, but can range freely to create one's own, containing only those elements of the full bibliographical record which are relevant to one. Now that the file is online, both in this country and my own, and being sought after by the Australians for mounting on their national database, we can, I think, with some pride, claim to have achieved the truly international dimensions envisaged in the 76 conference. As I have mentioned, the fiche of the British Library's collections will be published later this year, and it will be supported by an exhibition and by the publication of the papers given by team members at a symposium last summer, which uh, the papers which try to demonstrate some of the possibilities of the online file. In view of the fact that the British Library Board agreed only two weeks ago to continue to fund the project until the end of the decade, it is an opportune moment to speculate upon the future. For both the American and the British teams, this will entail the matching, and in the case of the former, the continued matching of records sent in by volunteer libraries, and the creation of records for works and editions not held by the British Library. It is estimated that in the period to the publication, uh, possible publication of the first edition of ESTC in 1986-87, the file will expand to about 400,000 records and in the region of 1.5 million locations. At present, the file size is about 145,000. So that's uh, three and a bit years to top it up some, over double it. It will certainly be the case that this enrichment phase is not one confined merely to statistics, but will also expand the subject matter of the file as we absorb the holdings of, for instance, nonconformist libraries, record offices, and a class of contributors we have only recently approached, regimental museums. All of these represent specialist libraries in areas where the British Library's collections are somewhat weak. In more general terms, ESTC will bring changes in three areas, in cataloguing, in bibliography, and in research. The cataloger of an 18th century work need no longer catalogue in isolation, as it were pitting his own experience against the work he has in hand. And I'm not here referring to the possibility of shared cataloguing systems since the file cannot be used in such a manner in either country, but rather to the ability of the computer file to confirm or deny suspicions rapidly. We all remember those times when we know that we've encountered a name or a type ornament somewhere, but cannot recall where. The type ornaments are beyond us, but it is possible to try names to establish a printer's corpus and to verify whether the work in question is typical. More particularly, false or suspicious-looking imprints can be checked to establish whether the printer is previously known. 
whether the name is a corruption of a legitimate form and whether there are any examples of that printer printing in a language and style that are not English. Furthermore, by bringing together both large and small collections, the ESTC, like any bibliography, offers to the librarian with only one state of a work the chance to not only see that work in its bibliographical context, but also to establish whether he is in possession of a reissue or a variant. However, the computer file offers much more than this. To take a couple of recent examples, uh, the British Library recently bought a thing called The Key to Polite Literature, 7th edition, and um, we didn't have any others. Uh, and uh, NUC apparently had a 6th edition, um, but there was nothing known earlier than that 6th edition. So by popping in polite and literature into the computer, limited merely to the title, which which one does by, um, by uh, search terms, um, we were able to turn up the gentleman and lady's key to polite literature and the arcana of polite literature or a compendious dictionary of fabulous history, both of which proved to be just those earlier editions that were missing. And of course, the same sort of thing can be achieved for imperfect books. There's an item in the general catalogue uh, tentatively entitled An Account of London, and it's wanting all before page 3, Roman. And the date, uh, 1705, had been given it whenever it was catalogued in the 19th century. Now, when you get that book up, it looks obviously later, and it was established by the person who was handling it that it was, in fact, more around 1780, uh, 1784, certainly on internal evidence. So, the computer process... There's no blackboard. Uh, so the computer process goes like this. Search one. Look for all the books between 1780 and 89 and those published in London. That gets you up with 11,647 for the record. Okay. Then... Assuming that that guess at a title account of London is vaguely right, search for London in those 11,000 plus down to 442 items, okay, published between 1780 and 89 in London with the word London in the title. Then, rather than putting in search terms because the... Um, physical description is not indexed in the same way as the title and notes and imprint. String search for any 12 mo's. You've got the book, it's a 12 mo. We're down from 442 to 67. Then we've got the final page, string search, finally for 144 pages. Okay, and there was one copy only in the file. London, unmasked or the new town spy exhibiting a striking picture of the world as it goes in a ramble through the regions of novelty, whim, fashion, and taste. And that happened to be the book in question. I suggested earlier that ESTC represents a move away from the notion of individuals laboring in the bibliographical vineyard. And while I do not see the end of very detailed studies by individuals, I hope that the project offers a model for the future.
In the past, a bibliography such as Foxen's English Verse was published at such a price and in such a medium that it is highly unlikely that it will ever see a second edition incorporating the not in Foxen's so beloved of the antiquarian book trade and the few, very few corrections those working in the field have offered. It is fixed in its printed form while by contrast ESTC is continually evolving. An edition of ESTC has become merely the arbitrary issuing of a catalogue and the, and the absorption of new data and corrections to existing records can be pursued continually. At the moment, it's, um, the arbitrariness is down to funding. When you run out of money, you push the button. Its disadvantage, that's ESTC, is its size, which requires it to be published on fiche, which makes it less likely, given the present way in which libraries organize such matters, that it will be consulted in close proximity with the books it seeks to describe, as a printed, as a printed bibliography might be. It is the fluidity of the file, however, which I hope that all bibliographers might seek to emulate. With the advent of the word processor, we surely must accept that the typescript, and only the typescript, because I, for one, continue to see a healthy future for the book, is dead. But with it, perhaps, we will see a movement away from the bibliography compiled by an individual over a long period of time and at vast expense, which is promptly mauled on publication by the reviewers, to the bibliography which does not purport to be perfect and which can gratefully accept and acknowledge the contribution of others working in the field, can absorb their findings and subsequently reappear at no greater expense. What I was scribbling down in your office was that little note behind your desk which says, in the pursuit of intellectual excellence, there can be no mean, no moderation. Aristotle. Well, I don't see this as actually a departure from that. I think that it actually might speed some processes and certainly make um, bibliographies which are heftily expense, expensive at the moment, somewhat cheaper. And I think the Bibliographical Society in Britain has certainly been moving in this direction just recently when it's um, instituted what one might term a two-tier publications policy, which means that you will no longer get an annual publication um, free for your membership uh, an annual publication of vast bulk that has cost the society considerable funds to uh, produce. You will no longer get those uh, free for your subscription, but you will get working papers, um, the state of the art at any one time, um, more um, work in progress compiled on word processors and produced from copy-ready, uh, photographic-ready copy, um, free for your membership, and the larger ones will come at a discount to members. The future of research, beyond the fact that it is rosy, because texts will be available through this RPI um, project, and the films, the, key, the, the, the real numbers, 
and the real guides and the order numbers will be held on ESTC records. So when you've completed a search on all books um, concerning India in the last decade, those that you can't immediately consult, you can always order the microfilm for. Um, and because locations will, of course, be readily available. These are the two reasons I see for research being rosy. But beyond that, it's impossible to predict. Members of the ESTC team, in preparing papers for the symposium held by the Extramural Studies Department of London University, explored some possible, possible lines of inquiry. But the essays, which are to be published later this year, merely sought to give some possibilities. We're very conscious that we by no means began to exhaust the possibilities, and we feel that almost any topic or research interest might be enlightened with ingenuity and a knowledge of the file and the search procedures in Blaise and Arlen. Uh, to this end, to promote use, there are two plain person's guides, one to searching Blaze and one to searching Arlen, which set out in as simple a language as possible, um, again, aimed at a very difficult audience. I mean, eight scholars of the 18th century. Here am I in full flight, plugging these freebies. <laughs> the tape runs out. Um, <clears throat> anyone who's interested and hasn't received them because they're not on the factotum mailing list, if they come up afterwards, um, I'll take a name and address and we'll see about dispatching some. Um, okay, the point about uh, a knowledge, ingenuity, and yet a knowledge also of the, the, the search mechanisms. The point here is that the online file has to be approached with both elements. Of course, it has always been the case that those researchers who understood the underlying principles of the catalogues they were consulting were going to find them more rewarding. But now it will be necessary to think imaginatively to achieve satisfactory results as well as analyzing those results imaginatively. The sorts of things that I'm thinking about here is that there's no point in going in as an historian wanting books on slavery and saying to your reference li librarian, stick me in slavery or even slave as a truncation of slavery. You will have to bring your own 18th century expertise, the knowledge that uh, a common euphemism in the 18th century um, for the slave trade was the trade to Africa, the fact that the West Indies are also known as the Sugar Islands. Um, these sorts of terms you are going, as an 18th century scholar, to have to bring to your reference librarian, I suspect, because they tend to be behind the scenes. Reference librarians would anyway be better at doing the searching because there's, there's no point as a scholar who might set up a search once every year to learn the ins and outs of logging in and logging off, I would have thought. But one is going to have to at least know what's possible in order to think around your topic, in order to take it to your reference librarian. I should like to close by outlining some of the searches that have been completed on the file. Um, I'm talking about British searches. Uh, we have slight access to what's going on. We Blaze is, an, is a national database. Um, there are lots of searches, of course, going on by subscribers that we're not aware of, but the British Library 
reading room inquiry desk takes searches over the counter so we at least get an indication of what people are using the file for um, right so, so some of the ones that have been done recently um, isolating the work the, those things published printed by Benjamin Collins um, person who did this managed to uh, establish a, a corpus, if you like, of 300 and, uh, sorry, 32 um, titles in moments. Um, uh, a scholar working on Smollett who was speculating as to whether um, Benjamin Collins might have printed the first edition of Humphrey Clinker had, I th believe the figure is, uh, isolated eight in a period of 10 years research. Not all the time, mind you. Slavery, um, truth and fiction, uh, working on those novels that also purport to be true or related to authentic re um, reconstructions. And that sort of time when the novel is evolving as a form, it's interesting to see how they see themselves. If it is, in um, Clara Reeves' terms, a depiction of real life, then why is it needing to still adhere to real life in the title, and yet why is it also clearly fictional? You can't get at this material unless you can put in uh, keyword searches on novel, on story, true, authentic, real life, things like this. The spread of printing in Suffolk, working on Suffolk towns, and then segmenting the results by decades, so you can watch how uh, basically, as one would expect, printing is moving further and further into Suffolk or further out from London. Um, false imprints, I've alluded to that in, in the actual text. Um, this ability to check out um, the corruptions. And eventually what, what this particular individual discovered was um, the way in which a corruption of a legitimate name or even just um, a Dutch uh, misapprehension of an Englishism. So Adamson goes in as Sohn, Adamson, S-O-H-N, actually sort of gets latched onto and other people think, oh, well, if he's using Adamson, why not? What the heck? It seems to have caught on, you know. And they admit that then those um, corruptions actually assume some sort of legitimacy within the false imprint. Um, an historian working on the Seven Years' War, I've got a time, um, wanting to gauge, and, and I think this is a very good example of someone really thinking round an historical problem and finding the file of use in the solution. This was um, Bill Speck, who wanted to try and analyse was topical, it was in the middle of the Falklands crisis, analysed the fluctuations in public opinion towards the Seven Years' War. And, of course, there's no real way one can do it, but he, in, he speculated that if he could isolate the state, statements by clerics on public occasions, on um, tub-thumping occasions, national days, he might be able to get some insight into the way in which they at least, and he assumed, I suppose, that they were putting forward a, a view held common with their congregation, they at least might uh, give him insight into how people were feeling in any one year. 
So by isolating sermons, then fast sermons, and general thanksgiving sermons between the dates of the Seven Years' War and, of course, doing it by date, um, he was able to have a look at sermons and come to some conclusions about how things went. Um, one last, because it's such such fun. I'm, uh, as someone who has dabbled in the 18th century, um, I, I'm by turns totally bemused at the speed and uh, slightly daunted by it. And of course, when it happens to other people, absolutely delighted and over the moon that they also are daunted by this thing. It excites us, it sustained us through one year of proofreading that we've been doing in the British Library this last year. Um, if we didn't believe that this was exciting, the, the searches, uh, I think we'd have all quit. There's been a Newcastle project for some 10 years now, working on subscription lists, you're probably all aware of it, and then uh, analyzing the content of those subscription lists. We did a search for Frank Robinson on subscription, just the term, because we note subscription lists in our general notes field, and came up with 634, which topped his list up by 25% after 10 years, which I think is fun. Anyway... None of this is meant to suggest that the analysis of texts isolated in online searches is not necessary. I've had it put to me that the availability of ESTC will lead to a sort of statistical trumping, that because a search has isolated 600 items, for instance, a considerable pressure will exist for all 600 to be consulted and that you won't be a scholar until you've consulted them. Needless to say, I don't agree. I still anticipate the in-depth analysis of samplings of that material and insist that the file online is merely a research tool and that it remains in the hands of scholars to use slavishly or imaginatively as they will. Whatever does happen, it can only lead to a flourishing of 18th century studies, which ultimately is what was hoped for when the American Society for 18th Century Studies first began to articulate the desires of its members, what appears as so long ago in 1976.